When someone becomes a nurse, they take an oath to do no harm. But what happens when that oath is broken? Charles Cullen took the same oath when he became a nurse in the late 80s. But what he did over the next 16 years of his career was unspeakable. Charles eventually admitted to killing 40 of the people that he was tasked with caring for. However, it's believed that this number could be much higher. This is the story of the serial killer nurse, Charles Cullen. I'm Ashton, and welcome to The Haunted Corner. Welcome back to The Haunted Corner. I'm glad that you're here. It's Christmas week, so if you need me, I'll be in my pajamas watching Home Alone, The Elf, The Grinch, all the Christmas movies until Sunday. It's Monday, so let's kick this week off with a true crime tale for you all. This one is awful. This is the story of the serial killer nurse named Charles Cullen. He took an oath to protect and do no harm, and he ended up killing dozens of his own patients. So he's the worst. Let's get into it. Charles Cullen was born on February 22nd, 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey. He was the youngest of eight children in a working class Catholic family. His father was a bus driver, and he passed away when Charles was only seven months old. His mother was Florence Cullen, who had emigrated from England to the U.S. after World War II. Charles described his childhood as miserable. He suffered a lot of bullying as a kid, and as a result, he attempted suicide many times. During one of these attempts, he drank chemicals from a chemistry set, so he was really going through it. And... Then, when he was a senior in high school, his mother, Florence, was killed in a car accident at age 55, and this really devastated Charles, even more so because he wasn't immediately notified of his mother's death by the hospital. So, after his mother's death, he dropped out of high school and joined the Navy. While serving in the Navy, he was trained as a ballistic missiles technician And after passing the rigorous training and psychological examinations required for submarine crews, Charles was cleared to serve on the USS Woodrow Wilson. Again, Charles struggled to fit in with his fellow crewmates, and he behaved really strangely at times. One time, he was caught wearing scrubs, gloves, and a surgical mask while sitting at the missile controls instead of his Navy uniform. He was then reassigned to a supply ship where he attempted suicide and was committed to the Navy psychiatric ward several times over the coming years. In 1984, he received a medical discharge from the Navy, and after this discharge, he pursued a new career. 
He began training at Mountainside Hospitals Nursing School in Montclair, New Jersey. He was elected president of his nursing class and graduated in 1986. After graduation, he began working at St. Barnabas Medical Center in the burn unit. It was during this time that Charles met his future wife, Adrienne Baum. The two married in 1987 and welcomed two daughters. Over time, their relationship grew increasingly strained, and by 1993, Adrian had filed for divorce and also a restraining order, claiming that she feared he would endanger or harm their children. Adrian claimed that Cullen was an alcoholic and that he would abuse the family dog, spike people's drinks with lighter fluid, make prank calls to funeral homes. She also said that he had left their daughters with a babysitter for a week and had even burned the girls' books at times. So he was really going through it. He was not doing well. And this is when it's reported that the murders began. The first murder that Charles Cullen would later admit to occurred on June 11, 1988. And this was Judge John W. Yango Sr., He had been admitted to St. Barnabas Medical Center after suffering from an allergic reaction to a blood thinning medication. While he was in the hospital, Cullen administered a lethal dose of lidocaine, which killed the judge. Charles admitted to killing several other patients at St. Barnabas Hospital during his time working there, including a patient who had AIDS and was given an overdose of insulin. But this young man was said to be said to be his first victim, but this person has never been identified to this day. People began to notice Charles' strange behavior, and employees at St. Barnabas began to notice suspicious things happening at the medical center. In February of 1991, a pharmacy nurse noticed something strange. She found an IV bag on the desk of the hospital's risk manager, Karen Seiden. The port on the IV bag looked like it had been used, but the bag was full to the point that it was leaking. The nurse and the risk manager both agreed that it was suspicious, and they reported it to the head of security, a man named Thomas Arnold, and the bag was sent to pathology for testing. What was found in the testing raised major red flags. In addition to the saline and heparin that were meant to be in the IV bag, there was also insulin. Patients in the hospital began displaying strange symptoms, and a rapid blood test showed extremely high levels of insulin. And when the patients were removed from the IVs, they began to feel better. The nursing staff began to suspect that it was the heparin drip that was causing the symptoms for the patients. They bagged another IV bag and sent it off for testing as well. And after examining the IV bags, they found tiny needle marks along the edges of the bag and came to the conclusion that someone could have been tampering with the IV bags in the storage room. Karen Seiden and Thomas Arnold continued looking into the circumstances. They began looking through medical records and found that patients were experiencing were experiencing unexplained insulin crashes through with regularity in the hospital. They initially thought that this was due to a nurse maybe misreading a doctor's order or a mislabeled file, but eventually they began to think that this may be happening deliberately. 
Thomas Arnold bought, brought the suspicions to his boss, Joe Barry, and together they began to interview the staff members about the incidents. And everyone was really nervous. Everyone except Charles Cullen. He was completely unbothered by the questioning, and he made it seem like it was an inconvenience to be talking to them. He didn't answer their questions and said that they couldn't prove anything, and he left. So he wasn't doing himself any favors, but he also wasn't wrong. They didn't have anything to tie him to the insulin spikes at the time. They reached out to the chief of police, but he claimed that there wasn't enough evidence for them to get involved and that the hospital should handle it internally. So both Thomas Arnold and Joe Barry returned to the hospital, and they were determined to catch Charles in the act. They installed stop-motion cameras in the medicine storage room and initiated a new drug sign-out protocol for the nurses. And despite these extra measures that they took, two more patients were discovered with inexplicable hypoglycemia. And both patients were found to have been connected to IV bags that were tampered with and contained insulin. They knew who was responsible, but they still couldn't prove it. And in January of 1992, the hospital stopped using Charles as an agency nurse. In February of 1992, Charles began working at Warren Hospital after telling the recruiter that he left St. Barnabas because the commute was just too much for him. This is where he murdered three elderly women by giving them each an overdose of a heart medication called digoxin. I think I pronounced that correctly. I looked it up, but my sister, who's a nurse, is probably screaming into her phone right now listening to me try to pronounce these medications. Now, following the, a tough divorce from his wife, Adrian, in March of 1993, Colin broke into a co-worker's home while she and her young son slept. But he left without waking them, and then he began stalking the woman. And she eventually filed a police report against him, while Colin subsequently pled guilty, guilty to trespassing and received one year of probation. The day after his arrest, he made another suicide attempt, and he would eventually say that he had wanted to quit nursing in 1993, but the court-ordered child support payments forced him to continue working. And hindsight's 2020, but if only he would have stopped working in 1993. That September, a 91-year-old cancer patient named Helen Dean, who was admitted at Warren Hospital, reported that Charles had come into her room and injected her with a needle. Charles was not her assigned nurse that night, and she died the next day. Her son protested that her death was not natural. He complained to his mother's oncologist, who confirmed that she was not scheduled for any injections that night. He also complained to the other nurses, who helped identify Charles Cullen as the one who had injected his mother. He then called the Warren County prosecutor. So you'd think that Charles's goose was cooked at this time, right? Well, they tested Helen Dean for almost 100 potentially lethal chemicals, except for digoxin. And it was ruled that her cause of death was natural causes. The hospital put Charles on indefinite paid leave. 
the Warren County Prosecutor's Office administered a lie detector test to Charles, which he passed, and he walked away with no worries at all. It would later be confirmed that Charles had killed at least two other elderly patients while he worked at Warren Hospital, Mary Natoli and Lucy Mugavero. He killed both of them with a lethal dose of digoxin as well, and he attempted suicide several times during this period of time. Cullen continued to find work. A nationwide nursing shortage made it difficult for hospitals to recruit nurses, which is still the same to this day. And no reporting tools or other systems existed to identify nurses with mental health issues or employment problems. After taking some time off, Charles took a job at Hunterton Medical Center in New Jersey early the next year. He worked in the hospital's intensive care unit for three years. And in October of that year, he was given an award for his hard work and diligence. According to a performance report in 1995, he was described as, quote, a patient advocate who cares about his patient's welfare, organized, very giving of his time, so much to offer, very bright, witty, and intelligent, end quote. So it seemed like for a while he was doing good, but it wasn't going to last. During his first two years, Cullen claims that he did not murder anyone but hospital records for the time period had already been destroyed at the time of his arrest in 2003, which prevented any investigation into his claims. However, Cullen did admit to murdering five patients in the first nine months of 1996, and Cullen administered overdoses of digoxin to these five patients. Charles quit his job at Hunterton hospital and began working at Morristown Memorial Hospital, where he worked for a little less than a year before being fired for his poor job performance, including failure to administer the correct drugs to patients. He was not reported to the authorities, and despite complaints by Charles that he was fired wrongfully, nothing came of that. In February of 1998, Cullen was hired by the Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where he ran a ward of respirator-dependent patients. During this time there, he was accused of giving patients drugs at unscheduled times. He was fired after an encounter that left a patient with a broken arm. He was seen entering the patient's room with a syringe in his hand, and somehow the patient's arm ended up being broken. Cullen caused a patient's death at Liberty Hospital, which was blamed on another nurse. And after leaving Liberty Hospital, he was employed at Easton Hospital from November of 1998 to March of 1999. On December 30th of 1998, he murdered yet another patient. A coroner's blood test showed lethal amounts of digoxin in the patient's blood, but an internal investigation within Easton Hospital was inconclusive because evidence did not definitively point to Cullen as the murderer. But obviously he did it. In March of 1999, Charles took a job at the burn unit of Allentown's Lehigh Valley Hospital, where he murdered one patient and attempted to murder another. One month later, he 
voluntarily resigned from Lehigh Valley Hospital and took a job working in the cardiac care unit at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. During the next three years, Cullen murdered at least five patients and is known to have attempted to kill at least two more. On January 11, 2000, he once again attempted suicide, and this time he lit a charcoal grill in his bathtub and hoped to succumb to carbon monoxide poisoning. His neighbors fortunately smelled the smoke and called the fire department and the police. He was taken to a hospital and a psychiatric facility, but he returned home the next day. While he was working at St. Luke's, it was discovered that Charles was stealing medication after one of his coworkers found empty vials in his disposal bin. He was offered a deal by St. Luke's to resign and be given a neutral recommendation or to be fired. He resigned and was escorted from the building in June of 2002. Seven of his co-workers at St. Luke's later alerted the Lehigh County District Attorney of their suspicions that he had used drugs to kill patients. Investigators never looked into Cullen's past, and the case was dropped nine months later for lack of evidence. So here he is, just jumping from medical center to medical center, stealing medication, murdering patients, and there's no tracking of what he's doing. But at this time, the Pennsylvania State Nursing Board began a formal investigation into his activities while he was a nurse at St. Luke's. In September of 2002, Charles began working in the critical care unit of the Somerset Medical Center in Somerville, New Jersey. Yes, while this investigation was ongoing, and in January of 2003, the Pennsylvania State Nursing Board decided that it was time to share their findings with the police. By this time, he had killed at least 13 people and attempted to kill at least a couple more. He unsuccessfully attempted to murder Somerset patient Philip Greger, who was later discharged and died six months later of natural causes. The hospital, including one of the nurses named Amy Loughran, began to notice Cullen's wrongdoing when he accessed the rooms and computerized records of patients to whom he was not assigned. The hospital's computerized drug dispensing cabinets showed that he was requesting medications that his patients had not been prescribed. His drug requests included many orders that were immediately canceled and many requests within minutes of one another. So he would go in and order the digoxin, and then after he would go retrieve it out of the cabinet, he would go back in and cancel the order and pretend like it just didn't happen. So this nurse, Amy, initially really liked Charles. And in the Netflix documentary, she describes that he was a great nurse and they were friends. So when she began to suspect him, she initially didn't know what to think. And she even defended him. But the evidence continued to pile up, and she couldn't defend him for very long. In July of 2003, the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System warned Somerset officials that at least four suspicious overdoses indicated the possibility that an employee was killing patients. The hospital delayed contacting authorities until October, and by then, Cullen had killed at least five more patients and attempted to kill another. 
In October, the hospital reported the suspicious deaths, including the death of Reverend Florian Gall, to the Somerset County Prosecutor's Office. They began to look closer into the deaths, and they initially concluded that Charles's actions weren't suspicious, and instead they focused on another nurse who had been working in the ward at the time of Gall's death. As the investigation got rolling, things began to pop up that raised major red flags. After typing his name into the database, they found his record of offenses, including a note about how the Pennsylvania police had investigated Charles Cullen for a suspected overdose at Easton Hospital six years prior. And because he had been working at the time of the incident, he was their main suspect. So this gave the officers something to go on. They began to dig deeper, and they created a list of all the hospitals that Charles had worked at, beginning with the first place he had worked, which was St. Barnabas Medical Center. In this file, there was no mention of the investigation into Charles, but there were several reports detailing incidents when Charles had withheld prescribed medications, failed to properly sign out medications, and had repeatedly repeatedly shut down a critical patient's respiratory vents. So the signs were there from the beginning, and if St. Barnabas had done a more thorough investigation at the time, it's possible that dozens of lives could have been saved. While looking into his previous employers, it became clear that many of Charles's employees' files had been lost or destroyed. And it was discovered that at St. Luke's, a fellow nurse had reported her suspicions about Charles to the police. She was convinced that he was responsible for the unexplained overdoses that were occurring at the hospital at the time. The hospital wouldn't do anything about it, so she went to the police and investigators began interviewing nurses from the hospital. And this is where things get a little wild. Nurses on the night shift all had very similar stories of strange deaths occurring while Charles was on the clock, and usually after he had changed the IV bags. One nurse named Robin Salisbury told investigators that she had observed Charles sneaking out of one of her patient's rooms, and shortly after, the patient coded and died. When he was working in the CCU, there was an average of 20 to 22 code blues per month. And after he left, they didn't have a code blue for over six months. The state brought in coroners to work through the medical charts to see which deaths Charles might be responsible for. The DA hired an outside medical pathologist who spent months reviewing the charts of 17 patients at St. Luke's had selected, but there was nothing solid that was found. In October of 2003, Reverend Gall's body was exhumed, and after an autopsy, it was determined that he had died from a deliberate overdose. On Halloween, Charles Cullen was fired from Somerset Medical Center for lying on his application, and the police requested his records. Unfortunately, they weren't able to find a record of Dijoxin being withdrawn by Charles in the days leading up to Reverend Gall's death, so they were kind of confused at the time. At this point, they began to look into Charles' colleague, Amy Logren, who initially believed that Charles wasn't capable of doing anything like this, and she thought that he was being unfairly targeted. 
but eventually the pieces began to fall into place. She also claimed that she had taken out drugs for Charles, not knowing what he had planned to do with them. And it was all becoming very clear to Amy now. The drugs, the strange overdoses, it all made sense. She recalled that Reverend Gall was not Charles's assigned patient on the day that he died. But the records showed that Cullen was looking into Reverend Gall's Paul's medical chart at 628 and 629 a.m. on June 28th, which was the morning that he died. And this was three hours before his heart stopped due to the high levels of digoxin in his system. Amy also remembered that the nurses would line up their IV bags for easy access, which would have given a really clear opportunity for anyone to inject drugs into the bags. Charles wouldn't even need to be present in the patient's rooms to achieve what he wanted to. It was at that point that Amy agreed to wear a wire when speaking with Charles in hopes that he would open up to her about what he had done. The two met at a restaurant in December of 2003, and it was at this meeting that Amy told Charles that she knew he was killing people. He wouldn't let her take him to the police. Instead, he insisted that he wanted to go down fighting. Charles Cullen was arrested on December 12, 2003, and he was taken to Somerset County Jail. He refused to talk at first, but eventually admitted to having killed 40 people during, during his medical career. On December 15th, he was charged with the murder of two former patients, including Reverend Gall. In April of 2004, Charles pled guilty to the murder of 13 patients and attempted murder of two others while working at sub. Somerset Medical Center, and by the end of the year, he was charged with the murder of 22 patients. Although it's estimated by some that Charles could have killed as many as 400 patients over his career. While he was in prison, it was discovered that Charles was a match for a kidney donation for the brother of one of his ex-girlfriends. He had to jump through a lot of hoops, and the brother was really close to death when the kidney donation was finally allowed. The procedure went on without issues, and it's said that it was done under an assumed name for safety reasons. On March 2, 2006, Charles Cullen was sentenced to 11 consecutive life terms. He will not be eligible for parole until he has served 397 years of a sentence. So he isn't going anywhere anytime soon, which is the best news that we could come that could come from this, really. And part of his plea agreement is that he has to work with investigators to identify possible further victims, which is great. I'd rather he is sentenced to life, many life sentences without the possibility of parole for a long time and have to help identify possible victims and be sentenced to death. But that's the story of the serial killer nurse, Charles Cullen. This guy sucks. He tried to say that he couldn't bear to see people suffer, which was the reason for the murders. But there were people that he killed who were going to recover and go home, so that's complete crap. He was just an awful person, and he's right where he belongs. But thanks for tuning in today. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes and also on the blog post for the episode at thehauntedcorner.com. 
check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. For exclusive content and access to our Patreon-only Facebook group, please join us over on Patreon. The very first exclusive episode, which is Cruise Ship Disappearances Part 1, is available now at the $1 per month level on up. And if you join at the $5 per month level, you'll have access to an upcoming episode one week early. And you'll get access to an exclusive The Haunted Corner sticker after donating for three months, plus a lot more. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner at on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion or correction to share, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time. Bye.